yes, definitely timing was not great. So you moved all the way to San Francisco, the pandemic hit, and then you were like, okay, <laughs> let me move back home because this is... So many things that could have been a lot more dangerous. Mm-hmm. And like, I already know I ride these like serendipitous waves of life. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, if I had a formula, like I would share it with everyone. I don't. Totally. Um, yeah that's how but, we became roommates I mean it's just... and and that story is hilarious I still tell it to this day you know do you know the law of attraction You're like <laughs> what <laughs> but I needed a place and you had a room before Jaysha came so it just worked out and that sounds like out of this world like yeah especially being here back in Springfield Massachusetts like mm-hmm. when when I met you, right, like, I was still coming down from this weird high of, like, everyone that knew me in those times being, like, oh, my God, you did something that only, like, one in a whatever can do, right? Yeah. yeah. But I couldn't understand it. I literally could not grasp, like, there was none of that because, to me, I was so focused on, like, doing the things I had said in my head I would do and, like, helping my family out, which... Mm-hmm caused so much stretch I couldn't breathe like I couldn't like there wasn't a moment where it was like is this too much like I don't know like I have have to to do it I just have to do it and so like when I got on the bus that day and I see you sitting by yourself like my first thought was I wonder if she'd move over (laughs) like that was my first immediate thought because you know square seats like the two with the tables yep yep yeah you were sitting on the row and I was like I wonder if she'd move over yeah you know and I'm very happy that you were the person that was sitting there not anyone else because over the years I would start to realize like how I'm received is not the same every time but for obvious reasons like right 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 life there's just... a lot of chance <clears throat> and people you know I feel like people these days compared to seven years ago really different world really different but I also feel like in some ways it's easier depending on your situation to navigate people now because of the mm-hmm. transparency. And that's me speaking from my experience. So I'm not sure how everyone's receiving today versus yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. But like something I'm reading right now, Plantation Theory by yeah. John. Right? Okay, nice. And he talks about the struggles of like black professionals mm-hmm. and like for freedom and security. I didn't write that. But literally when I'm telling you, like, right. in those years, I was, like, in between freedom and security. Yeah, yeah. And, like, a lot of what I read when you write, I'm like, yeah. That's where you were. Yeah. That's where and so. Because what was your vision? I feel like back then, Joshua, sorry to interrupt, but I, just, I remember it was, like, you were all about mindfulness and coaching already, day one at Google. But what was the vision? Was it? you know, leading Joshua and C, like having your own company was the goal or was it like, I don't know what, but I just know that there are these things that I care about and will it'll lead somewhere that allows me to provide for my family and does good for the world. No, it wasn't that granular. It was more like literally the only two intentions I would hold on to was like, learn to be a better coach. And so while I was at Google, right, like we understand the struggle of being in one track and then fighting to try to get into another track. And I don't think that's exclusive to anyone, right? Right. Yeah. So 
just like you, my 20% time, I would stretch it to 150% time and go above and beyond. But we were going to do that irrespective of Google, right? Right. Yeah. Because I'm at home and read. We're we're both like reading, sitting across the room from each. And you can't teach that. You can't train that. That's just from inside. So my one perspective was like, how do I develop these skills? Like right now, because I didn't know how to help everyone, but I knew I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I always thought of learning and development as the best way to like be paid to do some to learn something that you care about. Yeah. The other half was how do I support my family? Mm-hmm. So Jaisha moving in was like huge for me. I mean, she's yeah. married. She lives in yeah. San Jose. She like she's contracting at Google right now. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, full circle. And like interviewing for jobs. And granted, she had to take those steps on her own too. We still laugh at, at the stories because imagine your crazy older brother being like, hey, can you come on this plane? And like, yeah. And two weeks before meeting you, I was living in a basement on 7th Street. We were living on 9th Street. Yeah. Same way I met you is how I found that apartment. <clears throat> I was walking <laughs> up the streets and I was like, I saw an open house and I was like, hey, there like. Wow. Yeah, and the person was like, no, we already sold it to somebody. And I was like, I immediately was like, well, I'm not quitting. So here's my number just in case things don't fall through. And they called me. They were like, yep. And it was like three days before Jaisha was going to land. Which oh, wow. Talk about like just pressure. Cause, yeah. Because I, I really didn't understand. I didn't know if I didn't know if we were going to have to live in that basement for a little while, which is not what I want for my sister. Totally. Yeah. Like so, you're, you know, you're willing to as a, you know, sacrifice and like, Hey, you get the nice, whatever. Right. But you wouldn't want to say, Hey, fly all this way. Yeah. Go to school, live in a basement. Totally. Right. And like, again, those foundations were there. So I think when I read your writing, I'm like, yeah, like that slow life is something that I've always aspired to, but always felt separated from yeah. And so bring up this idea around like how different people are today. That transparency yeah. <clears throat> almost allows me to fight for that freedom and security without being othered. Whereas yeah. back it's almost like taboo. Like Right. That's true. So like, like the no, pandemic almost normalizes talking about these things. Whereas before it was like, you can't bring that up. Like what do you mean? Isn't this you know, your dream job, you're happy, you're not gonna admit um those other thoughts. Yeah, like, okay, now with the great resignation conversations, everybody's yeah. like, job hoppers should be celebrated. I was getting yelled at every yeah. every every time I was like, hey, I, I have another opportunity. I'm going to move on. It was like, who yeah. do you think you are? I'm like, yeah. are you allowed to talk to me like this in a workplace? Right. Well, I and I, how do you actually feel about it? Because I think for me, I mean, both of us have, have hopped around so much. I still am afraid that like for the next job, if I apply to it, they're going to look down on the fact that I've stayed one, two years per place, you know, how do you feel about, right? Like, yes, there's like this old mentality of like loyalty is better. Right. Do you really think it's shifted now? Speak for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when I see like now having clients that are in these situations, for some of them it's really dire like they're like no I literally did not get a job offer because right but for others 
it's a couple conversations away from them being like, oh yeah, like I'm really good at what I do and I have people that care about me. So mm-hmm. like that's the perfect formula for going wherever you feel you would add the most value. <clears throat> and that's how I thought about it, right? Like, for example, let's say you get hired to be a hiring manager at some point and I see yeah. you job. I'm like, I'm calling Lynn and I'm letting her know, like I do these things very well. And like, I yeah. would hope, because our relationship has always been so genuine and authentic, you would like take the time to assess, right? So that's how I always thought about it. I was like, I know a lot of people that know I'm not bullshitting. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Every day, like, and have been for years at the time that we met. So Mm -hmm. every day after that, I was just like. Yeah. (laughs) And there's your freedom. Yeah. Then there's the freedom. But I mean, that's a hard place to get to, right? When you read yes. all these articles around and you hear these like judgments. Yes, definitely. Um, how has security, so I'm so intrigued by this idea of security, right? And how, what do you, what do you manifest that as? And how have you gotten more secure in, in your career in, you know, your decisions? I'm going to, I'm going to say thank you because your question is really powerful, but also you left me with a great gift. And I remind you about this every chance I get, because I still have the painting somewhere in my apartment. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, like, I, I didn't understand it at first, and then it took me a while, and I was like, oh my God, when's a genius? No, <laughs> um, <laughs> I borrowed but, it from somewhere. Yeah, like, you know, appreciate the leaves, or enjoy the leaves, but appreciate the roots. Yeah, something like that, right? Like. At the end, you know, like because leaves will fall, but there's always that they like you gotta you gotta remind me of it. I gotta find it again, honestly. <laughs> I'll I'll send you a picture of it when I get home. But yeah, it's like my security comes from these relationships where the love is unconditional, you know. And then you internalize that, and it's like, okay, well, I got to this point, I figured it out. I'll figure out the next point, and <clears throat> really, really taking into account like you can't unteach me like I'm not like I'm, I'm teachable, but I'm not unteachable right yeah. it's that's where I find the security nowadays like because mm-hmm. I mean when I got to San Jose I and it's like the cliche story so I like try not to say it so proudly because a lot of people are like uh but I'm like no I really had like one month's rent and I was living in yeah. a basement <laughs> right yeah. and then by the time I was leaving Google remember Mikhail Mitro oh yeah wow he's like you can't leave San Jose you're like the mayor of this place (laughs) and I'm like it's been a year and a half I think San Jose will be fine yeah (laughs) yeah but healing is not like you know doing anything superior or better it's just like Mm -hmm. appreciation you can appreciate anything anywhere you go that's a skill active skill um, it reminds me of there's like indigenous wisdom in birding sweetgrass that Robin, I maybe you've read it there's that one part where you know they're asking when they're learning Potawatomi how do you say please pass the salt instead of just pass the salt and there's no word for please because food is always meant to be shared but there are like nine ways to say thank you and just just now you reminded me of that and the gratitude of like you know being wherever you are and being grateful for that like turns itself into a security and trusting those around you yeah yep and I think I was working like for myself to remember how to appreciate 
the my roots, right? And so that was a journey in and of itself because, you know, growing up Black Hispanic, like Dominican American, right? I'm like technically 1.5 generation because my dad was born in the Dominican Republic, but my mom was born in Queens, New York. Okay, yeah. All I hear is like derogatory things about like who I am and, and where I came from, right? And mm-hmm. I'm, I like had to sit with that for so long you start to like not like yourself because you think there's something wrong with you perception of others right but that was such a mixed message because like every time I met someone they were like you're great and I'm just like well like how does this work (laughs) like how how can things be true yes so much like internalized shame and then you are rewarded for things that you seemingly are doing so yeah so coming home to me like and I consider Springfield, Massachusetts home, although I was born in Manhattan, New York, and raised in Lawrence. But it's like the one place I felt the most embraced. Um, yeah. I went to high school here. And so I still have my relationships with my friends from high school, right? Yeah. And my mom lives two miles away. I'm in an office, right? Like, nice. and my uncles are here, my grandfather's here. Like, oh, these are people that I want to appreciate more with yeah. that understanding right like the things that you appreciate appreciate like they yes true true and the things you don't appreciate they deep they depreciate like it's just simple math right Mm -hmm. so just being around and being present with these people that instilled in me like this type of spirit it just makes sense like I think, I think you're being very humble, Josh, because starting your own consultancy, like leaving a stable, stable startup job, right? Like where there's income, there is a ship. Yes, maybe you're at the home, but like there is more than one person right now. It's just you, right? How did that feel starting off your own company and, you know, needing to build your own security in that? Well, I think because of the journey that I had, I was like well positioned to do this very easily, which is like where the, where the arrogance could creep in if, mm-hmm. if received the wrong way. But it was like, all right, <clears throat> I started at Google, I get trained in recruiting. So mm-hmm. now I understand this whole process on how to attract people to a space at like what arguably would have been at the time, the number one company in the world. Right, sure. So, yeah. and I think I got hired because I think from both perspectives, like half of my college situation was in engineering and half of my college situation was in human resources. So recruiting software engineers, I'm like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that makes sense. Yeah. And this like data-driven approach to work, like that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, understanding you still have to kind of have these social emotional skills, but at the same time, like the ability to manage processes makes sense. Like these things are real, right? And like that duality can exist in one mind. It's okay. hard. It's not easy. But mm-hmm. so, you know, not getting the opportunity to move into a learning and development role at Google almost was the best thing because I was like, all right, well, it's not happening here. I know it's yeah. happening. It's not here. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so I moved to Ernest with that same intention. I think I wrote mm-hmm. uh, the person that recruited me at the time, like probably the scariest, like three paragraphs I think a person can write. Cause it was like some definitive, like 
I will. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was like, <laughs> will not stop. they're like, we're giving you a job. <laughs> like, Cause it was just coming from that place of frustration for like not being yeah. in that role. But sure. I got lucky. They were a startup that I believe were a series, like just started, like they had fundraised like $6 million. And then when I joined, they had just fundraised like $18 million or something like that. Right. But then while I was there, they went on to fundraise like $360 million. So wow. I saw what would then become kind of a Google if they keep on. Right. Yeah. yeah. But like I just came from the end state. Right? right. And the CEO was just very clear with me, like, Hey, like these things that you learned there, like feel free to like institute here. <clears throat> and I didn't have the same tact or poise or finesse that I did that I do now back then because I felt behind. So I was just like, work, 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 right? And I'm like replicating, replicating, replicating and like finishing almost in a way where like my perspective would bleed into these systems because every time I would bring up an idea at Google, like it was met with the resistance of a 60,000 mm-hmm. organization. Yeah. When I was in earnest, we were like 23 people. Okay. So I'm so like, when it was, yeah. yeah, that's, that was the size of my team at Google. Like, yeah, right. So it was easy to get these ideas across. It was easy to communicate. The fatigue was a lot less. Okay. And the impact was a lot greater. Um, but even there, like, it was like, your success kind of traps you, right? Because they were like, oh, you're really good at talent management. Why don't you just stay in talent management? And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I did this so I can like do the thing I want to do. Now that it's done, like right. you deliver your half of the promise. <laughs> So now it's I'm like, moving on. Yeah, it's like it's like foreign language to people. And I'm just like, Yeah. Am I supposed to just be manipulated? <laughs> like it's almost <laughs> Why like Why do you think that is? I feel like this is so interesting because it tends to be like, hey, you're good at something, let's give you more of it, right? And that's supposed to be seen as recognition. We saw that you're good, we're giving you more, feeding your strengths, that's awesome. Why do you feel like it's so, cause, but then as a kid, you're taught to like always be learning, right? And, and expose yourself to different things. Why does it switch? I don't know if you have insight from, you know, all the places you've worked. Well, I think. Or why we just pigeonhole people, right? Like it's just a tendency that keeps happening no matter where you are. I mean, if you're thinking from a systems oriented place, it's costly to ask people what they want to do. Cause then mm-hmm. you have to kind of take that leap of faith with them as they learn. And you assume that price tag with their learning. But it's only if you think about it from that place, right? <clears throat> and I have to be real careful when I try to like convince people of the other side because it is a it is a skill as well. Like I can't just have someone managing a department just go ask 20 people what they want to do and push them to right. where they be because it'll be chaos. Right. Yeah. So there's like the off chance of like this one individual, like although great in their job now could completely be horrible in their job later if they were to switch. So Mm -hmm. it's that need for security again, Mm -hmm. like, but it's the manager's need for security, right. Over the individual's need for security. And so there's that power struggle. Mm -hmm. And like, I fully understand that I have no like hard feelings towards managers of the past. Like, I can have conversations with them today that, you know, I feel they deserve because they were probably right in some ways, right? Like I was Mm -hmm. 22, 23, like hungry, vicious, right? But like, 
one ear, it's like, stay young, stay foolish, like be like Steve Jobs from like the whole world, right? And then in the other ear, like do your job. Right. Yes. So, I mean, I can't ask again for every situation, but what I can't right. say is somebody always has to feel that insecurity. And mm-hmm. like when you're working at an organization where the security lies within management, they're mm-hmm. not going to assume it. <laughs> like, yeah. That's so key. And I think, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, is that right? I don't know. No, I mean, I feel like there, with the great resignation, there are more and more conversations about exploitation of workers, right? And how a lot of people saying no, maybe because like there is this huge, like bulky managerial class that really isn't doing that work and that gains their their security from the exploitation of other people, right? Other people are there to provide for the managers. Um, which is a really unequal relationship, that power struggle you're talking about. Um, so I can see a lot of people going off on their own, right? Like and starting their own thing, because then you don't, you kind of just say, hey, I'm not going to play those games. I don't need to deal, I don't need to manipulate anybody. And I think it's an approach thing because my first manager had 23 direct reports. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can't I, manage that. No, you can't. <laughs> no one right? can. No one can. And so that's a superhuman effort that I'm sure they took on to support their manager. Mm-hmm. So we blame that person, but I'm sure like they were put in that position. In the whole system. Totally. Right. So that's why I say it's an approach thing, because I still believe in management structures solely due to the fact that I have people that are like, manage me, like asking mm-hmm. willingly, like, please, like, help me, yeah. under- guide me through this. Mm-hmm. but it's not do this for me at my begging call as much as it is. What's the thing you want to get done? Let's approach it. And does this fit into our larger set of like goals? Mm-hmm. And then, and it's like choice oriented. It's like two people choosing, right? And that's partnership. Sure. Sure. I think, but I don't know. And I feel like yes, at its best, but that can happen. That's the caveat. But- but so much, I think part of it is honestly around pay and how unequal, right? Like if a manager's pay is so much larger than their reports, it's like, yeah, you've helped. And it feels like from the reports perspective that the manager's not doing that much to merit that grade of the salary difference, right? And again, in some ways I'm like, yes and no, because it depends on the situation, right? So if you have a manager with 23 direct reports and all 23 people are satisfied, that is like invaluable. <laughs> like you can't really find people that are that sure. good. You know, it, like, and again, that's me being maybe I'm being elitist in that skill set. So I'm like questioning it, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like there comes a point where the skill is no longer the contribution, it's mm-hmm. how to foster the contribution. And yeah, for sure. Something I, I think that society values that. Sorry. Like Maybe to an outsized amount, though, right? Because outsized amount for sure. I wonder how often then, like, if those twenty-three people are happy, is the manager obsolete? Like, could right? Like, if the manager wasn't there, would those people be just as happy or happier? I don't know. And there's that perspective, and there's the other side of like, are those twenty-three people advancing because mm-hmm. of that manager? Right. So it's like sure. there's only two sides to it, and I think. <clears throat> the part that I agree with in terms of like this resurgence against management is if it's if it's manipulation based and there's no choice for mm-hmm. sure because like again mm-hmm. like 
I feel like our careers in many ways were tainted due to bad management. If I yeah, totally. Run. Like which is that which is more common <laughs> than good management. And but I think because we understand each other and we've taken the time to understand each other, I'm sure I can understand what type of manager you would need and you can understand what type of manager right. I would. Right. That's what the feel is missing. Mm-hmm. And the irony is for me, I studied that so early that when yeah. I saw it happening, I was like, that's what this is out of my way. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but not everyone, not everyone has that perspective. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with you, you're I like know, textbook case, you know. Come yeah. on, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this is it. This is what we're looking at. And like, yeah. <laughs> even even the manager themselves are like, "What? Like, I don't know." But that's an outsider like perspective. That's a very clinical perspective because the feelings are not like that at all. It sucks, right? But and it takes a person like yourself to like want to invest interrogate that right like investigate that and like i've always known that you're highly conscious and aware of like what's happening around you all the time so like to to put that on to other people is asking a lot of them cuz that's also not necessarily the norm like yeah not in a derogatory way in the sense that yeah. like, we all be afforded a safety to yeah do our job and then live our life but I feel like because of our situations, and I'm speaking to immigrant status, we're like, nope. I mean, nope. I think a lot I of things. A life of passivity because I don't know <laughs> if where I'm being passed to will be where I want to go. Mm-hmm. Back to that manipulation piece. Yeah, and I can understand too from you know the higher ups perspective. A lot of times it's a survival thing, right? Like they're underwater, they're swamped, so they're not able to be as aware. There's just no, not the time and space and definitely not the environment for that. And so in that, like, imagine if the relationship was, I recognize you are that aware and that, like, perceptive. Right. Partner, because your skill set is also just as valuable as my skill set as a manager. This right. is where I'm, like, and it's unfair, right? Because, like, that's what today people bring me in for, like, those types of conversations. So it's not fair, right? Like, we're... We're talking about two people that get what's happening. <laughs> Whereas like there's so many people that don't. But I think that's always what stumps me, right? Like how is it that it's so intuitive for you, right? And like you'd think that everybody should just, if you are, you know, in this particular job, you should just know. And yet it's so foreign. And if anything, sometimes you get backlash for being so aware. And it's, it's like the reaction is to tamp that down and call you out for being wrong. Because they weren't, you know, as as self-aware and knowing what they were doing. Yeah, I think that's, and that's the part where the fight exists, right? Because it, in one way, it caused us to be patient for, like, the people that are unaware. But it's, like, again, with this fight for security and freedom, it's, like, I don't have the time to be patient for you to become aware. Yeah, that's so, why we leave so much, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. And so it's like, and so then when these job hopper claims come in, I'm like, that's a yeah. week to like keep me here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> right. Right. And how does that develop at scale? I mean, those are the types of problems I was solving. Like, mm-hmm. so earnest, right? They're like, I do my part. They don't deliver on their promise, but they're unaware. So I'm not necessarily mad. I'm just like, mm-hmm. 
not doing this any longer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Outco, it's four software engineers and myself, and we're all on the same playing field in terms of now we get what's happening. Okay. So they're bringing the perspective of their the world is asking us to interview on solving these problems that have nothing to do with the actual problems that companies are solving. We want to solve company problems, but we're getting blocked because we don't want to do these problems. Yeah, these algorithms. Okay. The structures out like yeah, right. And like link lists, and it's like right, ugh, so dumb that right? you never use on the job. And I'm coming from the perspective of having in like the most guiltiest way, I feel like this company effort was like my payback to society for what I was doing, which was having rejected something like every week I was rejecting 596 software engineers for a year. Wow. So we could do the 596 times 52, I'm responsible for it, right? Wow. Yeah. So, but like pattern matching, right? And like understanding that this was systemically designed, I'm like, well, what's the other side of this? And so I meet these software engineers and they're like, wait, you get that we're like wrongfully being rejected? I'm like, yep. And more than <laughs> that, I kind of understand what you should be able to do to like not yeah. get wrongfully rejected. So that born a curriculum that was like on the other side of this interview process. Mm-hmm. Again, just the positioning and the luck of like Google being the place where I was trained for this mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. If I reverse engineer that interview process, I'm reverse engineering every interview process because every company is trying to build that interview process. Mm-hmm. So we work together to build this like emotional intelligence and technical curriculum, marry them. And that was painful because like they're still software engineers and I'm still people person. <laughs> well, I mean, you could have a people person software engineer, right? Correct. But it's like, big old notation. We need four hours of big old notation. And I'm like, yeah. we don't. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I think what, sure, I mean, I think what I would push, you know, Elko or like similar groups on is like, how can we get companies, given that we recognize, hey, this is the skill set on the job and what I actually do. This is what you're asking me just to do gatekeeping. How do we get them to tear down that gate and just test this? Right. Because effectively, they're just assuming, hey, if you can pass this gate, it means you get to, you know, code whatever this ticket says. But instead, why don't we just stop with the silly gates? <laughs> but that's why you're a win. Like, that's why we can have this conversation. Like, I feel like <laughs> me and you in a room, right, mm-hmm. be able to argue all sides for these companies and they'll be like, oh, OK, we're changing it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what I hope happens. Honestly, it's part of my hesitation of going back into tech. It's like, I was an engineer for a year and I have no desire to study Dijkstra's again and do, you know, linked list trees, whatever, because I never really needed to use it. And if I did, it would not be on a piece of paper with no access to the internet. Like it just doesn't work that way. And it doesn't show you anything besides how well I can memorize and perform on the spot, you know, like it, it, I don't know. But that's why I feel like in some ways, when I read your writing, I'm like, I know when is fully aware that she can have these conversations at some point. Because <laughs> I'm running a company and I need a software engineer and you explain this to me. And I'm like, well, let's take 30 minutes to whiteboard something. And you're like, here's the solution. I'm like, well, that was easy. <laughs> and, th- and those things happen, but. Because there's trust opinion, between us, right? And so I think in a. Well. Job, no. Think- no. Okay. What do you think it is? Emotional intelligence. And 
in a world where you have to kind of create this space for these technical concepts. Mm-hmm. And if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Sure. I would see like spreadsheets worth of software engineers that just lacked like not only self-awareness, but the social awareness to have these mm-hmm. conversations, right? So like the clarity you have in saying, I'm not doing that, mm-hmm. I'll be all right. <laughs> a lot of people are like, why are you asking me to do this? And it's like, I'm not, I'm not hiring you. Like, I'm still, like <laughs> right. right, like the moment you're on a team and someone asks sure. you to do something you don't want to do, that's right. the reaction I'm going to get. Yeah, pass, right. So it's like, that is so meta, right? But like, again, yeah. why like your position the way that you are, like I, and I've always appreciated it because even early on, like for me to say, hey, hey, do you mind moving over one seat? And you're like, <laughs> sure, <laughs> right? And I'm like, hey, what's your name? And you're like, hey, right? Yeah, and the two right? complete strangers, like having a very yeah. healthy conversation mm-hmm. and learning each other while doing so that leads to like that level of understanding that's not happening everywhere it's it's just not like i remember experiences on that bus where i'm just like hey how are you how are you doing i'm really busy right now <laughs> yeah. yeah you're kind of like afraid to talk to people usually on the shuttle <laughs> <laughs> on the bus, right? like, yeah people yeah. have the headphones on they're like giving yes. us a look you're just like yes. i just want to get to the office <laughs> like right yeah, I mean, that's, I think so much about the soul life too is that, right? Like, slowing down. Hey, it's okay. And it's, I think, really hard to get there. And I mean, yes, I think I, I also wrestle with the privilege aspect, right? Of how you need to have a certain type of, yeah, like security in your own finances and your well being to be able to be like, hey, yeah, I'm going to chill a little bit and things are going to work out. I have enough to bet on myself is not something that everyone can have. Um, you know, and there's a whole nother layer to that because I didn't have that privilege either. And then I do have a privilege in another sense. And back to this book on plantation theory and like John Graham's work, like I still don't have finances in a way where I can retire, you know, and be fine and safe. And like, there's still days where I'm like, whoa, how am I going to make ends meet? And on top of that, being the highest grossing earner in my family they depend on me in moments of situation. You don't have a bank account with excess funds. It's Joshua, go work more. <laughs> like, yeah, and right. those things are real. I'm at the place where I can laugh about it, right? But yeah, when but me and are sitting in the same situation and playing like comparison in terms of our, like what, what got us here and what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. again, I feel like the reason why we're able to connect and what really shaped our lives is like, summed up with like give a person a fish and they'll eat for a day and like teach a person the fish and they'll eat forever mm-hmm. like I'm like yep I'm gonna go to Springfield because guess what like somebody's gonna want to start a company at some point probably need the skill that no one can unteach me yeah and like that allows me to be present and not have to live in the past all the time or fixate on the future so then when I am having a conversation, it's like, wow, Josh was really present. Yeah. Right. And yeah. same with when I what I felt when we were connecting in those years. I was like, 
when is ridiculously present. Like, I think you were. I mean, I feel like that's what I supposed to say. Honestly, one of the questions I originally noticed was on mindfulness. Like you were the one who was like so, I think, honest about how key that was well before there was even a headspace app. Or, you know, like this was just who I associated with you. And it gave me terminology for things. That was that's really interesting because I feel like we were sharpening each other because I had learned so much <laughs> from the way that you approached the co- topic. And that's what I'm saying. Like our connection was on this idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. Approach and my approach were so different. And when I really think about things that I want to see in the world at scale, like not like business, it's not like products, it's not like it's it's this, right? And so I try to like get people, and I feel so stupid sometimes because I'm like, like (laughs) (laughs) what? But I know you know you're like he's like that. Like he will do yeah. that. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they hilarious. should know that that's treasure. That's gold. That is useful. But like boom, manifest it. <laughs> can't see it. Can't see yeah. it. So it becomes a super meta conversation. And then you bring it to the workplace and you add those dynamics and you add those expectations and you add these relationships and you yeah. add these intersectional layers it gets buried. It's the last thing that people consider as a powerful tool for creating that security and freedom. Mm -hmm. And like how you were saying back then before Headspace and all these, I still think we couldn't have the conversations we have as publicly as we'd like because with Headspace, right, people still like have productized this thing. Yes, right. Always about monetization and like number of active users, right? So even, even then, like, it it's would, almost ironic. <laughs> it would probably fall on death ears anyway. It's like yes, it's so, I, it is funny to me sometimes. Like people are like, "Oh, I gotta meditate," and you have to have an app for it. It's like this. That's not. It kind of it's counterintuitive, you know. Like the idea of being present is like then you don't need anything else. But you are and you're here. And yeah, about the. I mean, I love what you were saying about how how true it is that the human connection. I feel like is what you're really advocating for a genuine one and not one that is political or for show and that gets so buried in a corporate workplace and definitely more so at the larger the offices because mm-hmm. you do need to worry about you know the monetization whatever to an extent and sometimes that just takes over 100 percent, like <clears throat> survival and reality and you got to be of both minds and i think that's where like that's how i've learned to categorize it more nowadays than technical and non-technical you know like mm-hmm. left brain, like mm-hmm. And my mentor had put this on a recommendation at one point, really, really like pierced my psyche, but he was trying to explain it way before I understood it, which was like, he wrote like something like Joshua's like book and street smart. And I was, I was offended. Cause again, like, yeah, I'm I'm coming from a place where like street smart means a whole different thing. Yeah, sure. My things I don't think I've shared with you, but I'm way more comfortable now than I ever been to talk about, which was like, my father got deported when I was nine. Right. And like he got deported because he was selling drugs. Like he was selling drugs because my family needed a means to survive. Right. Like so his his approach to survival put me in a survival situation. Mm -hmm. So I have to learn a new approach to survival. Right. Mm -hmm. So what people recognize as street smart, it's like, no, I like came from the streets Mm -hmm. in whatever way people want to define that. And then when people say Booksmart, I'm like, no, I read books to survive. Right, right. So when you said well, Joshua and Booksmart, I was like, 
what are you saying? <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. But and because you- I think with with a lot of times, like whatever people consider street marks, it is it is a survival mechanism. Like people, you know, would they choose a different job over selling drugs if they could? Sure, you know, like it's never like, oh, I'd love to do this. It's hey, I have a family. Hey, I'm hungry. I need something, and this is available in either that neighborhood, right? Like just based off of, I mean, the whole system of like, okay, where are they hiring? Probably not in the Bronx, then, right? Like exactly. And so, and then- it, we we're talking about New York in the 80s. I was born in Manhattan in 92, right? Like, yeah. so he was living in that era, like, like where to be black. The or war black. on drugs. Right. Yeah. So I'm a product of that war on drugs. I can't be ignorant to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm traversing these worlds where, like, I look like a foreign object. Like, I look like a meteor that flew in. So, like, you know, and like, yeah. I have to say things like that to make myself laugh about it because it is so strange when I'm in a situation. And like nowadays I talk about it and I'm like, if I'm the darkest person in the room, like we have an issue. <laughs> like, cause I'm like, not even, I'm yeah. very, my proximity to whiteness comes from my lighter skin, but like mm-hmm. undeniably I'm a black Hispanic man. Right. Mm-hmm. And so these conversations can go in so many layers and you have to think them through, but nothing is possible without that sense of presence. Absolutely. And And there have been so many times, I mean, very different, obviously the East Asian status in America, but absolutely the majority of my working years is the only East Asian woman in the room. And it it is, you know, a whole set of, of different expectations that are put on you, the way people interact with you. And I feel like for sure it's it's sad how performative people get around diversity and how they can say they care about it. But, you know, the reality is back at Google when we were there, diversity was a big thing. And I don't know how much has really changed and they can. It it just isn't. I think that was one of the most disheartening things when I was doing tech. And actually one of the main drivers was um, the startup I was at. They said, hey, okay, we care about diversity. And this is obviously the height of BLM. So it was like this little reaction to it. And I'm like, well, if that's what it takes, okay, do something. And then it was just a rubber stamp thing. Like, hey, we've got a diversity group, but we give no permission to do anything, no budget, no funding, no permission to change or interview, nothing. And so I think, I mean, I think you and I saw through a lot of what Google was doing, right? And we still do. And it's like, this is, you know, where where your lobbyist funding you know, what do they do? We lived through it because, again, I and I try to tie this to presence because there's so much teaching in there and the way that, like, it could impact the fulcrums, I guess, that, like, would make mm-hmm. diversity inclusion possible because that's what's necessary, right? It's like, get out of this. Absolutely. And have this proactive conversation. Mm-hmm. Stop othering and stop demonizing so you can right, stop start doing. Yeah. Start labeling so you can start connecting. These are the things. So when you have these juxtaposed experiences, right? Like, again, people will hear me get really passionate about the lack of effort for diversity and inclusion at Google, right? But then like, I talk about like my friend, me and my friend Winchin were like, right? And everyone's like, but you, I'm like, no, wait, hold on. <laughs> and it's like, this Dominican American guy and this East Asian woman are like living in San Jose, driving, yeah. getting bus. So it's like so hard to really capture the essence of what's being said. And then here comes data. And it's like, well, 
there it is. Like when I recognized I was 5% of Google's black representation and then 11% Hispanic representation, I didn't know how to sit that in my head because even in those years, I didn't even fully understand my identity yet. Like I was Afro-Latino before the term, right? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I didn't, like, I wasn't going around being like, hey, I'm, hey, I'm you know, (laughs) I was going around like, hey, I'm Joshua, like, what's up? Exactly. (laughs) And so then it's funny because that year specifically, and I, I actually do remember a moment where I was about to call you about this. You um, should. That, you should always call year, me. I forget what happened. I, I yeah. surely, you know, that year was a blur for both of us. But like, it was like, yeah. uh, I was uh, I was invited to a Hispanic Googlers network. Okay. Meeting. Yeah, yeah. I was invited to a Black Googlers network meeting. Mm-hmm. And then I sat on uh, Project Oxygen's, like, kind of observatory. Oh, yeah okay and like why because my 20 percent time was like 180 percent, right yeah so I was like sure I'm going to this thing like this is literally the thing I want to do yeah and being in these groups were just more so for the affinity of like understanding myself my community right sure but like even there there was tension because it was like what pick one and it's like yeah yeah wow so you got like these three groups having the same conversation Mm. and and this is why I wanted to call you because I feel like you can relate because I've seen you be able to just sit in rooms and something I've always wanted to ask you about is like your experience in engineering because I could imagine that too added those intersectional layers right like totally just a gen- natural like makeup of what people consider to be engineering but Project Oxygen, I'm surrounded by like 90% of the room is white women, which I'm not necessarily on not expecting because in having been in HR, yeah. I'm typically always the only man. And yeah. Definitely only man of color. Like mm-hmm. so I'm used to seeing that kind of hierarchy, right? And for lack of a better words, and also that's not something I want to leave as normal, but like <laughs> I'm in this room with right. all that's, women. In this that's room, the power dynamic in, yeah, a white supremacist institution. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting in this room where this is the makeup, this room where this is the makeup, and this room where this is the makeup. And they're all having mm-hmm. the same conversation mm-hmm. from their perspective. And no one's tying it. Right. And I was so uncomfortable. And that's by design. That's right. They would never, because, I mean, so much, I feel like, and this probably is, what you're getting at it's like the whole idea for keeping the status quo is to make sure people just go in circles in these groups instead of the real power comes from we're all together and saying like oh yeah this would be great for our teams or whatever it might be that you guys are discussing right uh with intersectionality or agnostic of that of just like hey this is good for workers in general psychological safety was the the thread yeah you realize how, and like, I know, isn't it? And so I go on yeah. with this understanding for the rest of my career and people are just like, we don't get what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, all right. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what I'm like, I, I can charge you a certain amount for hour to explain to you what that thing is now. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm glad at least you get paid for it. Cause that is work. 